Good morning, everyone. Our scripture today is from Acts 1, beginning with verse 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when I started preaching, I told myself that I would not tell stories about my children. Uh, And I changed my rule uh, where I will now not tell stories that make my children, uh, that are bad about my children. I'll just tell stories when they're cute. Uh, so the, last night, uh, Jessica, was my wife, was talking to Emmeline, our three-year-old, and, and said to her, you know, Emmy, you know that tomorrow is a special day for Mama. It's called Mother's Day. And Emmy looks right at her and says, no, it's not. It's Easter. Uh, <laughs> she's been declaring every day for, since Easter Sunday to be Easter, and she's right. It is Easter. Uh, Yes, this is Mother's Day, so she's kind of wrong about that. But this is uh, the last Sunday in the Easter season. It's still Easter season, the time when we we celebrate the risen Christ. And this particular Sunday is the day that we set aside to celebrate um, something that we kind of forget about sometimes, the Ascension. Uh, We say this, uh, we said just a little while ago in in the creed in our baptism liturgy, that, that he ascended into heaven. And we confess that every time we say, we say the Apostles' Creed. But, but the ascension is one of those things that's kind of failed to shape our imaginations. Uh, we all do Christmas, right? Christmas, big deal. You, you might have noticed. Uh, the cross, Good Friday, shapes our imaginations as Christians, of course, and as well it should. Um, this is the Easter season. Of course, we celebrate Easter. But not many of us celebrate the ascension. Do you? Anybody buy an Ascension card for your mom today? I bought an Ascension card for my mom. Uh, but we don't, we don't think about the Ascension. And maybe because, you know, Jesus' birth and death and even being raised again to new life is something that perhaps we can wrap our minds around. But the Ascension seems a little bit harder to grasp. And, and maybe it's because it's, it's beyond what we can experience or even can physically relate to. But the Ascension is vital. Um, it the, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, Jesus' resurrection have no meaning if Jesus isn't vindicated, if Jesus isn't with God. So the ascension is what makes all of this other stuff that we believe as Christians to be possible. So this morning we should spend a little time to think about what it means for us to confess that Jesus ascended from the dead 
and is at the right hand of God. So there's three things I want to talk about today. Uh, one, where is Jesus? He's ascended. Where is he? Okay. What is he now doing? What is Jesus doing now? And then lastly, how do we respond? So first, where is Jesus? Where is he? He ascended into heaven. And, and when we imagine that, and, and as we read it in the text, he seems to be going up. And that's what the word ascent means, at least in one sense, right? But we know that there's sort of a cosmological problem with that, right? You can't just go up and up and up and up and up and reach heaven. We know that, and we're not the first people to know that, too. That, uh, even though they use language of up, people in Jesus' time knew as well that you didn't just go up and up and up and up and up, and one day you would find, like, where God is. Um, What they thought of heaven as being is sort of like the control room for what happens on earth. And we thought about that as up, sort of symbolically, But they knew well that God wasn't just another part of our physical reality, that God was something else, that God was other. And sometimes it becomes an easy critique of Christianity to say, well, you know that God's not just like a man in the sky up there. Well, of course we know that. Um, After Yuri Gagarin, uh, the first man in space, came back, uh, the, uh, the Russian premier Khrushchev, uh, said, well, look, we've disproved God. He went up there, he didn't see him, and he came back down, right? So there can't be a God. But that's not the Christian conception of God. We don't think of God as just being up there somewhere. We think of God over us in the sense of being in control. And after all, that's what the word ascent means. To ascend into heaven, for Jesus to ascend into heaven, is like a king ascending to the throne. You know, if you were to go to England... Uh, presumably you could find the queen's throne somewhere and you would walk up some steps and you could sit on it. You ascend to the throne. So the word ascent refers not only to to God's physical space in in a sense, but it refers to God's authority. It refers to Jesus's authority. Um, So where is Jesus? He is in this metaphorical sense ascended. He is above us. He is over us. And in that sense... um, present to us all. Um, But we also have these stories from the Gospels and the stories from Acts where we have Jesus living a kind of physical life. So if you go back to Luke, Luke wrote Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke tells stories about after Jesus' resurrection during that 40-day period, he is around the disciples. He breaks bread with some of them on the road to Emmaus, so he's eating. Later, he meets with some of them and he eats some fish. So he has a physical life. The resurrected Jesus has a physical body. He can eat bread. He can eat fish. And not only does he do that, but he invites the disciples to come, put, to come touch him, to touch his uh, hands and to touch his feet. So he has a physical life. But yet he is doing things like walking through walls and disappearing from one place and appearing in another. And eventually he'll ascend into heaven. Which Anybody here ascended into heaven? Didn't think so. Okay. Uh, The kind of, Jesus has a physical body, a physical life, but it's not the kind of physical body that we know about, that we have now. It's something different. It's something beyond. And so what this language of ascent refers to is not only Jesus's um, sort of rising up into the sky, but the new kind of reality that he now inhabits where he is with God. God doesn't have hands, right? God the Father. We don't believe that God the Father has a physical body. So he's not literally at God's right hand. But Jesus himself does have a physical body. We see him go. And then the two men in white robes tell 
the apostles. In the same way that you saw him go, he's going to come back. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, never stops having a human body. This new kind of human body that we saw him have in the resurrection appearances. The same way he went, he's going to come back. And so God has a human body, a human life, though a different kind of human life than us in Jesus. That's what the church has always confessed. Sometimes we don't think of it that way, but that is, that's what we believe, or what we're supposed to believe. In the same way you saw him go, he will come back. And so I think what this is pointing us to is that though Jesus is gone in a sense, he is more accessible to us than ever. I mean, when Jesus in his physical life, in his physical body, before his crucifixion, he could only be in one place at one time, right? Um, if you wanted to talk to Jesus, you had to go find him and talk to him. But we who are Christians now, we pray to Jesus. Uh, Luke tells another version of this uh, resurrection or this ascension story at the end of the Gospel of Luke. And there it says that after Jesus ascended, the, the apostles worshipped him. And they could worship him and have access to him and have a sense of Christ's presence, even though Christ is physically gone from him. Even though Christ is out of sight, he is present with them in a new way. So where is Jesus? He's gone. He's out of sight in a sense. He has gone to the right hand of the Father and, and the, the sense of presence and power that that brings. But in a new way, Jesus is present with us or can be present with us where he never has been before. And when we celebrate a baptism, we ask that God's Spirit would be in the waters. When we worship God on any given Sunday and we, we pray that Christ would be present with us, we can do that because of the ascension. Yes, Jesus has gone. He's out of our immediate sight, but he's present to us now in a way that he never was before. So that's where Jesus is. He's ascended in the body. And now all of the presence and power that that implies of being at the right hand of God is available for us right here, even though Jesus isn't physically present with us. So that's where Jesus is. What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus does two things here in this passage. He tells the disciples that he will send the Spirit, and then he sends the disciples out into the world. So first, sending the Spirit. Verse, verse 5 here. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples this. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus promises that when he goes, when he is out of sight, he will send the Spirit to the disciples. And that we celebrate next week. Next week is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and that's where we, we remember the Holy Spirit coming to the disciples and enabling them to witness to God in a way that they never had before. And so the Spirit comes. Jesus goes away and sends the Spirit so that we can receive power. In the Gospel of John, uh, we read this last week uh, for our confirmants. Jesus promises to send them the Spirit who will continue to teach them and remind them of everything that Jesus taught them. And then in John 16, 7, Jesus tells the disciples... That it is better for them if he goes away. Because when he goes away, he will send the Spirit, an advocate for them. And so we need Jesus to depart so that we can receive the Spirit. And when that happens, these disciples who were so weak, who were so confused, who didn't get it, 
who were all over the place in Jesus' lifetime, and after Jesus' resurrection, were still profoundly confused. All of a sudden, through the power of the Spirit, they're enabled to live in a new way. And these men who witnessed Jesus go up into heaven like this will be ones who then go, and almost all of them, give their own lives because of what they've seen and because of what they believe. These people who are weak became strong. That's what the ascension gives to us. When we just prayed for Adam and her baptism, we asked that the Holy Spirit would work within her, that being born of water and the Spirit, that she would be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's the prayer for all of us. That we all need that same Spirit to enable us to live as faithful disciples. You know, in one sense, we are all baptized as infants because we all come to God with nothing. Nothing of our own power. Um, to the degree that we can say yes, that's a gift given to us by God. And so all of us come to God with nothing. But then through the Spirit, God enables us to say yes day by day by day and to grow in that. And what you all have promised for these baptisms that we've done over the past few weeks is that you will let the Spirit work within you to help those who have been baptized and now live as the disciples that they're called to be. And so the sending of the Spirit is then connected to the sending of the disciples. Jesus tells the disciples uh, here in uh, verse 8, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, they're in Jerusalem now. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's like saying you'll be my witnesses here in Tupelo. Then you'll be my witnesses in Judea. That's the area that surrounds Jerusalem. So in Mississippi. Then Samaria is the neighbors to Judea that, and the neighbors to Israel that, that Jews typically hated. So you will go to your hated rivals and you will be their witnesses there. You'll go to Alabama. Sorry, Alabama fans. And you will be my witnesses there. Right? And to the ends of the earth. Well, guess where we are now? We're at the ends of the earth. From the perspective of somebody who is in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, who didn't know that a continent called North America existed, much less that Christians would be worshiping 2,000 years from then, we are the evidence that they have been Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are at the ends of the earth. Sometimes when we think of going to the ends of the earth to witness for God, we think of like we have to pack up and take our bags to, you know, to Tibet or something like that. No, we're at the ends of the earth. And of course, it's a good thing to engage in that kind of, of evangelism, that kind of missionary work. But we are at the ends of the earth. We, in this place, have been called as Jesus' disciples to live the lives that he's called us to, to be his witnesses. And how does that work? That works through the church. That works through this group of people that God has called together. At the very beginning of this uh, passage that I read, Luke tells... Um, Luke tells the person to whom he wrote Luke and Acts, a man named Theophilus. Uh, he says, in the first book, Theophilus, that's talking about the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up into heaven. And, and the reason I think that Luke kicks off Acts like that is he's giving Theophilus a hint that what he's still talking about is what Jesus is doing and teaching. Because what all that follows in the, in the book of Acts is a story of the early church. And, and the story that, that Luke is telling is that yet Jesus did things and taught in his own body before his death and resurrection and ascension. And now that Jesus has ascended and has sent the Holy Spirit to his disciples, 
We are the ones who do and teach for Christ and in Christ. And it's Christ who does those things in us. So Christ isn't done doing things and teaching things. He now does that through us. We who have heard God's voice, who've never encountered Christ in our sight, even though Christ is out of our sight, we have had the Spirit of God speak to us. And we have had other people speak to us about the things of God. Other people tell us about the gospel. Christ has continued to do and teach through the church, through human voices, through all of you. Jesus now sends to be his witnesses here at the ends of the earth. Christ is doing those things in us and with us. Christ now has a human voice. Christ in the body, in the body of the church. And in the same way that Jesus had a body in his incarnation, and even though he ascends in a body and will return in a body, now we speak about the church as the body of Christ. That Christ continues to do things in and through us, even though Christ himself is out of our sight and happens through the power of the Spirit. And so how do we respond? We respond by being the church. Now, does it, does it make anybody nervous when I tell you that you are supposed to be the ones who are doing and teaching things as representatives of Jesus? I hope that would make you a little bit nervous, even if you're confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but every now and then I get mad at other Christians. All right? And some group of people who are Christians or purport to be Christians will say something that I think is stupid or will say something that I think is, uh, is not what Christ would say or will say something that I think uh, is um, not a good reading of, of the Bible. Will do something that makes me mad. Has anybody had that? If you are more conservative, that might have happened from the liberals, right? Quote unquote. If you're more progressive, you're more liberal, sometimes you might be mad at the conservatives. And we, we engage in these fights with each other and we get mad about what other Christians are saying. And sometimes rightfully so. And we now are in the midst of a, of a lot of turmoil in our, in, our, in our world. In our society, it's the middle of, a, of an election season that has been especially tumultuous. And we're in the middle of all sorts of theological debates in our own church and in the Christian church more broadly, where we are arguing about um, what it means for us to live as Christians. And in the midst of those disagreements and arguments, we have begun sometimes um, not only to be annoyed with each other, but sometimes to outright hate each other. And now listen, it's important for us to have those, uh, for us to vote, for us to be engaged politically, for us to stand up for justice. Uh, and our baptisms, we promise that we'll stand up uh, that will resist evil, injustice, and oppression wherever they present themselves. And we should do that. And it's important for us to stand up for what we think to be true theologically and biblically. But if we do that in a way where we lose sight of the fact that Christ has died for all of us, then we have gone astray. What the ascension means for us is that we don't have to win the victory. That Christ has already won the victory. That Christ is at God's right hand. And so it doesn't depend on us getting all the right votes in order and all the right policies in order and all the right you know, uh, statements from the church in order for Jesus 
to be the one who's in charge. Jesus is in charge already. Jesus is already at the right hand of God. It's not for us to live the victory. Rather, it's for us to be confident in the victory that Christ has already won. And when we get that, when we believe that, then when we have these disagreements, whether they're political or theological or personal or whatever, we can bear those with the kind of humility that Christ has called us to. Because the difference between our holiness and the holiness of God is infinitely greater than whatever differences that we might have with someone who disagrees with us about things here on earth. Christ has died for all. And so while we absolutely, absolutely should say what we think to be right and true and advocate for that and, and, and work for that to be a reality, we have to do that with humility. Because we know that it's Christ who's given us life in Him. We have to do that with love because of the love that Christ has shown for us. We should do that with grace because the way that Jesus inhabited this world was in a life that was full of grace for others. We should do that with confidence, knowing that Christ has won the victory, but knowing that we don't have to win it ourselves. And we should do that above all with a sense of joy and wonder. Because if Christ ascends into heaven and if the disciples can do, are just standing there looking and seeing this amazing thing that's happened, even as we turn our eyes into the world as the, as the two men in white robes tell the disciples to do, we should go out with that same sense of joy and wonder. Knowing that Christ has called us to be his people in this place. Christ has chosen the church. And believe it or not, he's not ashamed of us, even when we get it wrong, even when all of us get it wrong. And so we ought not to be ashamed of one another and shame one another when we disagree. But we should know that Christ has called us into new life with him. We should pray for each other, lift each other up, encourage each other, speak to each other with joy and confidence and grace and love, even as we try to live out what we believe that Christ has called us to. Um, in the book of Galatians, which we'll go on to study this summer, there's a huge conflict in the church about what to do about uh, people, Gentiles who are becoming Christians. And some thought that they needed to become Jews first, to be circumcised and, and, and other things. And Paul writes to them and says, no, that's not it. But in the midst of that disagreement, and Paul, Paul will use some pretty direct language with them, he tells them that they should instead abide in the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit that Christ has sent to them. He tells them the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Though Christ may be out of our sight, that's what He has called us to through the power of the Spirit. Though Christ is out of sight, He is more powerful and more present with us now than ever before. And though Christ is out of our sight, the Spirit has sent us in the power of Christ into the world to be his witnesses. And though Christ is out of our sight, he has sent us with a job to do. A job to glory, to glory in his ascension. And to know that he has won the victory in our lives and the lives of all of us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for all that you have given us through Christ. The one who sits at your right hand. And Lord, we pray that we would know and deeply love each other through the power of the Spirit that you have sent to us. Lord, help us to be your witnesses. Help us to, um, help us to live the kind of lives that you've called us to. Help us to become the kind of people, people of love and grace as you have called us. Lord, all this we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.